This is the podcast of Christian Life Center, an Assemblies of God Church in Springfield, Massachusetts. For more information, visit our website at clc413.com. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel. We will be looking at a portion from chapter 6. Before I begin, I'd like to ask for the Lord's wisdom in ministering his word today. Father, I come before you acknowledging the great responsibility of sharing your word. Recognize that everything in this world will pass away, but your word will never pass away. And Lord, the communication of your word, I know it bears a great responsibility for those who speak it and for those who hear it. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would prepare our hearts, and I pray that every one of us would open our ears to hear what your spirit has to say. Please give us revelation so that we will be able to grasp what you intend for us to grasp from your word today and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we discuss the portion in 2 Samuel chapter 6, I want to give you a little bit of background. When God set his people free from Egypt, he then and always has wanted to be with them in a very special way. And yet their sins separated them from him. And so God in his divine wisdom devised a way so that the people that were his people would still have access to his presence even though at times they would face great discipline because of their disobedience. In fact, For all the people that left Egypt, only those who had faith and trusted in God made it through to the promised land. Two people, Joshua and Caleb. And yet for the two million plus people that would journey through the desert to reach the promised land or to attempt to get into the promised land, God made himself available and he had a very special place uh, created so that priests could go in and represent the people and God could communicate with the people. And one particular um, item of importance that I want to share with you about this morning was called the Ark of the Covenant. In the Ark of the Covenant, there were some very special items But what's interesting to me about the way that God set this all up was that God was very detailed in his planning, in his expectations. He didn't simply say, uh, go ahead and build me something. Uh, Make it of whatever size you want. Use whatever materials you want. He did not say that. He gave very specific instruction. And in verse 10 of Exodus chapter 25, He says this, have the people make an ark of acacia wood, a sacred chest, 45 inches long, 
27 inches wide and 27 inches high. Overlay it inside and outside with pure gold and run a molding of gold all around it. Cast four gold rings and attach them to its four feet, two rings on each side. Make poles from acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark to carry it. These carrying poles must stay inside the rings. Never remove them. When the ark is finished, place inside it the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I will give to you. Then make the ark's cover, the place of atonement, from pure gold. It must be 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. Then make two cherubim from hammered gold and place them on the two ends of the atonement cover. Mold the cherubim on each end of the atonement cover, making it all of one piece of gold. The cherubim will face each other and look down on the atonement cover. With their wings spread above it, they will protect it. Place inside the ark the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I will give to you, that is the Ten Commandments, I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the Ark of the Covenant. Listen to this verse. From there, I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. He says, I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim. This was a very special place. This was a place where God would show up to speak with his people through an intermediary. God was very specific about the expectations laid out for the Ark of the Covenant. He went over the details about the molding. He went over uh, how it was supposed to be constructed. There were supposed to be four rings, and there were supposed to be these poles. The poles were overlaid with gold, and if you remember what we just read, it says that those poles were never to be removed from those rings. Now, when God says something, we may not always understand it, but God does expect us to obey nonetheless. Now, if you think back to when you were a child, for some of you that may be a long, long time ago. But no doubt there were times when your parents asked you, or rather told you, to do something. And in your mind, you're like, are you serious? That doesn't make any sense. Now, whether or not it made sense to you, if you were in a home of parents who loved you, they would follow through on the expectation whether you understood it or not. Why? Because you're the parent and they're the child. As our Heavenly Father, we get instruction from God. We may not always understand it, but God expects obedience nonetheless. 
The truth is, is that you and I function in making decisions a lot with our brain, our mind. We think things through. But it's not the only level in which we make decisions, for we also have a spirit. We can rationalize things, but our mind is not sufficient for us to be able to understand why certain things are required of us. The Bible tells us that there are many things that God has revealed to us as a human race that can only be understood by the Spirit. Our mind is limited in being able to rationalize the work of God in our lives. For any of us in this room who may be brainiacs, where we simply make decisions whether we understand the matter or not, you're going to have a very tough time following Jesus. Because you're going to find yourselves often at a crossroads of, and exactly why do you want me to do that? And God our Father, who knows all the details, at times does not choose to explain himself. And I would go so far to say he does not owe us an explanation. You who are parents, even now, when you receive the question, well, why? Help me to understand this. As a parent, you can try to explain to your children why this and why that. You also recognize that there are times where you cannot effectively explain what experience teaches. It's very hard. There are times when a little mind cannot simply grasp the necessary understanding as to why. And so you've just got to obey. It's the same with God. That's why trust comes into play. It is a leap of faith. It is believing that God knows what he's doing even when we don't understand. It's a step beyond our mind. Now, the Bible says that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our minds, so you cannot check your mind at the door. But at the same time, you have to understand that not everything that God asks you to do is going to make sense to you. That's where faith comes in. And you've got to say, God, I do not understand this, but I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to believe your word. It's not a foolish trust. It is a trust in line with the things that God has already revealed to you. And that's very important. So we see the expectations that were laid out here. Now we're going to jump to 2 Samuel chapter 6. We find ourselves in a setting of great celebration. God had granted David and his warriors victory. And he had a great victory over an army that should have defeated him, but God showed up. So much so uh, that if we look back in chapter 5, in verse 17 it says, When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, they mobilized all their forces to capture him. But David was told they were coming, so he went into the stronghold. 
The Philistines arrived and spread out across the valley of Rephaim. So David asked the Lord, should I go out to fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord replied to David, yes, go ahead. I will certainly hand them over to you. It's very important that we seek the Lord, even in things that we might think, well, that just makes sense. Let's go do it. But it's very important that you pause and seek the Lord. And to David's credit, in this situation, he sought the Lord and the Lord blessed him. So verse 20 says, David went and defeated the Philistines. And then he said, the Lord did it. He burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So he named that place Baal Perizim, which means the Lord who bursts through. The Philistines had abandoned their idols there, and so David and his men confiscated them. But after a while, the Philistines came back, as the enemy often does. You win one battle, give it a little bit of time, the enemy comes back again. That's what the Philistines did. They spread out across the valley, and David again asked the Lord what to do. God did not say to attack them straight on this time, but he said, circle around behind and attack them near the poplar trees. And when you hear a sound like marching feet in the tops of the poplar trees, be on the alert. That will be the signal that the Lord is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. So David did what the Lord commanded, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. In each of these battles, it was God who gave them the victory. This was not simply because David's army uh, was more skilled, although David's army was skilled. But you'll see in the word of God that even with all of David's skilled men, when God was not on their side, they lost, and they lost big time. The scripture says that though some trust in horses and chariots, we must trust in the name of the Lord our God. And that is particularly important in our nation. We are living in a time where there is, as Jesus predicted would be, wars and rumors of, of wars all across the globe. We live in a nation that God has blessed. And I believe it was blessed because it was founded upon the principles and the truths of the word of God. But day by day, unfortunately, as I hear and as I see things around me, we are sliding down a very slippery slope. God's eyes see everything. God's ears hear everything. And we are in a spiritual predicament in the country in which we live. But my friend, our ability to be able to experience victory in any battle, in the spiritual realm or in the natural realm, will not depend on our military might. It will not depend on the skill of our soldiers. It will not depend on the level of our technology. But any victory that we are going to experience is going to come because of the favor of the living God. And we need to make sure that we stay focused on that. He is our source of victory. And he is our source of strength. David learned that lesson, and he trusted in the Lord, and he had a great victory. 
So in chapter 6, he gathers all the elite groups together, 30,000 in all. That's a pretty large group of people. He led them to Bala of Judah to bring back the Ark of the Covenant. Now, this represented the presence of the Lord. Remember, this was the place where God said, above the cherubim, I am going to show up and I am going to share uh, what my people need to do. And so David is bringing back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned, look at these words now, between the cherubim. This was very important, and this was a very important ceremony. Verse 3, they placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Now, let me pause there for a moment. Do you recall what God had specifically said about how the ark was to be transported? There were four rings and there were two poles. And do you remember it said they should never be removed from the rings? Now, here we have a special celebration that is going on. And what is built for the transportation of this very special item was a brand new cart. Now, granted, this was not an old jalopy borrowed from some farmer down the street. This was brand new for this special occasion to honor God, no doubt. Whoever was building this cart probably took a lot of care because they knew what a special occasion this was going to be. There's no doubt that there was money spent on this cart and it was customized in a very special way for the Ark of the Covenant. And so... Uh, there. Uzzah and Ohio, they were Abinadab's sons. They were guiding the cart as it left the house. So they wanted to make sure, they took a lot of care to make sure that this ark was going to get to its destination. Brand new cart made specifically for this item, this special item over which the presence of the Lord would come and would speak to his people. And so uh, Uzzah and Ohio were guiding, Ohio were guiding the ark, and David and all of the people were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres and harps and tambourines, castanets and cymbals. And so you can just imagine, you've got 30,000 people present. You've got a band playing that is just exciting, and everybody is celebrating what? The arrival of the presence of the living God. That's a wonderful thing. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. So now Uzzah is, has this great responsibility of making sure that the ark 
gets to its destination. The oxen hit a bump, stumble, and the ark looks like it may slide. It may come off. So what does Uzzah do? He goes over to make sure that the ark does not fall off the cart. Then the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him dead because of this. Wow. Things like this in the scripture just kind of make you take a second take. Does it really say that? I read that right? I did. It's in your Bible too. The Ark of the Covenant was never meant to be transported on a brand new cart. The poles that were used to carry it were never supposed to be removed. And yet somehow, a minor detail was overlooked in the transportation of the presence of the Lord. It was represented by that ark. And when Uzzah reached out to keep the ark from falling off, think about it for a moment. Do you think that he was intentionally rebellious against the Lord? Just asking a question now. Do you think that as he reached out to stop the ark from falling off, that he was thinking to himself, I am going to deliberately disregard God's command regarding this item? I don't think so. That's my opinion now. It's not from the word of God. But it would seem to me that he was attempting with perhaps good motive to reach out and to help God out. So why would God strike him dead? Well, David had the same question. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. Verse 8, David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it is still called today. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The, altar of the, the ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Now, I believe that in this process, David had a lapse of memory. And it cost him. 
He became angry with God because he wondered why Uzzah was killed. Yet God had given very specific instruction, which was not followed. And so God followed through on what he said would happen. David was so upset, he had named the place about the event that happened. And he said, I am afraid of bringing the ark of God, representing the presence of God, into the city. And so let's leave it at Obed-Edom's house. I wonder what he thought. But there are some very important lessons, I believe, for us in this historical account. God desired to be among his people. But it would be in his way. And it would not be dictated by human beings, but rather by God's process. I believe that as we serve God, as we live our lives for him, we are often tempted to find ourselves in this very scenario. Where we disobey God in an area of our life, and refuse to do what he has asked us to do, then we come into the presence of God and we forget that God is a God of holiness. The Bible says that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It is very important that we understand God's expectation so that we don't take for granted the grace of God. So then when we walk in disobedience and we step out of God's commands and we experience the consequences, notice that God didn't automatically show up to David and say, oh, David, I know you're distraught right now. Let me just clarify everything for you. Let me go over everything so you understand why Uzzah died, you, so you understand that that should have never been on the cart. He, it, there's no indication that God showed up to try to give a great explanation to David. So for a period of time, the Ark of the Covenant was not even in the area where David desired it to be. Why? Because he was afraid. Some of us have gone through things in our walk with God and even in the church, be it this church or another church, where we have done our own thing. Then we come back into the presence of God without resolving those things in our lives that are out of order, we expect our relationship with God to be as if nothing was wrong. Now, there's a fine line here because the scripture tells us that when we come and confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. When we come to Christ, it is his blood that washes us of our sin. 
And the word justification means that we are treated just as if we never sinned. So in that respect, we have been washed clean. God does not hold those things against us. But my friends, there are things that we have to relearn about how we honor and respect God. There needs to be a sense of reverence when we come into the presence of the Lord. When we walked in the world, we may have looked at God as the man upstairs or another higher power. But God is not simply that. He is our creator. He sent Jesus to die for us. He gave everything so that we could experience new life. And when we come into his presence, we must come with reverence and respect. When we come before him with reverence and respect, we receive the response of his forgiveness. When John the Baptist was preaching, he said to those who were listening, bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. As he baptized people, as he proclaimed that the Messiah would be coming. And in fact, when Jesus appeared, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But John the Baptist said that the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. He was explaining to the people, you better get with it, guys, because God is on the move and his kingdom is advancing. And if you don't get with the program, you will get left behind. Sometimes it's easy to be able to share only the portion about God that makes us feel comfortable. But my friends, there is a part of the presence of God that will make all of us uncomfortable. And if you have not come to grips with that, it's important to do that because one day you and I are going to stand before the living God. The same God who has given himself so that we could experience new life is the same God who is going to, at one time, separate the sheep from the goats. And on that day, there will be no second chances. The decision God makes on that day, there will be no opportunity for another decision to be made. Uzzah, did not have the privilege of reconsidering. His life was taken. Now, I'm so grateful that during this day in which we live, that Jesus has provided for us grace and mercy because of the cross. And that grace is yours. That mercy is yours, but I have a warning for you. Do not take it for granted. Do not treat the cross irreverently. 
if you look at the cross and use it as an excuse to do what you want to do and then somehow think that God is going to disregard a deliberate walking in disobedience, God sees the motive of our heart. And it's very important that we approach the presence of God with reverence. There are times that even in our lives, we may deal with certain things and we may not fully connect the dots, but God still follows through. The Ark of the Covenant, when Uzzah touched it, he died. It was brought to Obed-Edom's house and everything around his household flourished and was blessed. The garden was growing better. The people in the house were happier. All the things that were a part of his household were filled with blessing. So much so that the news got to David. David, you know where you had that ark placed? Well, things are going really well for Obed-Edom. Everything is flourishing. David says, really? You mean Obed-Edom's not dead? Oh, no, him and his family are doing quite well. Really? Well, perhaps I should reconsider moving the ark. And so David decides that he would move the ark back to the city of God. When we come into this place, we must come with an understanding of how God works. You know, there was a time when I was younger where I kind of questioned the importance of really setting aside a special place because I thought in my mind, God's everywhere. Like, what does it matter whether I'm in church or... I mean, if I'm sitting in my seat and the pastor makes a call to the altar to pray, like, why not just sit in my seat? Because God's in the seats too. You know, like, he doesn't limit himself to the altar. And over the years, God has taught me that when something is set apart for him, He's not contained by that location, but he blesses it. He blesses it. And there are windows of opportunity that happen in specific locations that if you don't get up, you miss it. Do you remember the man that Jesus went to by the pool? I had the privilege of standing at the pool in Israel where Jesus healed that man. And he showed up and at a particular time an angel would stir the waters. And when that happened, the first person to get in, not the second or the third, the first, the first person would get healed. 
It wasn't at the pool down the street. It was at that pool. And it was at that time. And every time that man said, I can't get there on time. His response to Jesus was, well, when the water stirred, I have no one to take me and put me in the pool. Basically, I have no hope. And what did Jesus do? He, he healed the man. But there is an important part of understanding that God works in places and he works in time frames. And if we ignore them, we ignore them to our own peril. The Bible says that God has not chosen to confine himself to living in a building made by men's hands. Right? And so I say this and I believe it. God is not limited to the four walls of this building. But I also want to tell you, when we gather here together on any occasion, in the name of Jesus, it doesn't matter what day or time is set. When that happens, this place is consecrated to the living God. And there are things that the Spirit of God will do that are limited at times to that time frame and that location. And I've had people say to me, well, Pastor, I, you know, I just, I really don't like getting along with people a lot. So I really don't prefer to go to church. I'd rather go walk on the beach and talk with God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That's what the scripture says. But when we set aside time and when we set aside a place, the Lord blesses that, even under the new covenant. So I want to share with you. Uzzah, I don't know, to be honest with you, to what degree he was guilty. God's the judge of all that. I just know he died. I mean, even in that time frame, they didn't want to die. Okay. God hasn't changed. His character hasn't changed. So we need to learn a lesson from this. If you were living back then in that moment, what lesson could you learn from that? Now, I know we're under a different covenant. But what lesson could you learn from that? See, when sin was in the camp, the whole place paid a price. Even the soldiers who didn't necessarily commit that sin. It's very important for us to remember that. What we do affects others. And so when you, as the body of Christ, live your life outside these walls, when you come in here, you affect this church. You affect this church. Now, I've heard people jokingly say, you may have as well. I can't go to church because if I go to the church, the place will burn down. <laughs> you have heard that? Of course, they're using that as an excuse. But to the point, they're saying, I'm living a life that's out of line with God's word. And so I know I can't go be a hypocrite and sit in the church. Okay. But the truth is, is that for that person and every other person, including every one of us here, what God wants is a humble heart. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. For the person who says, I don't want to go to church, 
because I'm living like this or whatever and I don't want to be a hypocrite. Well, there's a great solution for that. Stop being a hypocrite. It's as simple as that. Why not handle it that way instead of just avoiding God? But to every one of us, even followers of Jesus, I believe God wants all of us to hear that when we come into his presence, we must come with reverence and respect. The way you live your life outside these walls, when no one's watching, reflects how you handle the presence of God in this place. And there may be times where because God's commands are avoided out there or ignored, that your reaction response to the presence of God in here will cost you. God sees the whole picture. There is a healthy fear that every one of us must have of the presence of God. There is a reverential fear that we all must have of the living God. And yet, it is also true that we must understand the wonderful love of our Heavenly Father. And I understand it's not easy to grasp all that with your brain. That's why you need to understand with your spirit. That's why you need to spend time with God. Because if you're only engaged in your mind this morning, some of the things that are being said from the word of God are going to go right over your mind because your spirit's not ready to soak it in. But as you come into the presence of God and you humble yourself and say, God, I don't understand it all. But would you teach me to reverence your presence? God used Catherine Coleman in a great way. Thousands and thousands of people were healed. One of the key things as I have observed and watched many of her videos and her ministry, she reverenced the presence of God. There wasn't a rushing in with a careless attitude. In fact, she would be so concerned to even move forward without the Lord directing the service. What does God want to do in Christian lives right now? What does he want to do? The spirit of the Lord, Jesus said, was upon him. And he wants to be upon us. To heal the sick. To set captives free. He wants to change people's lives. But that all starts with a reverence for the presence of God. And I'm going to be open with you that there have been times where I've had to repent to the Lord. Say, God, forgive me. I may not have been outwardly with a motive of, God, I don't care about you. But there was a subtle disrespect. And I'm just telling you, I, God loves you, I love you. But God does not overlook disrespect for his word. He's a gracious God, but there will be limitations to how you are used when you disrespect the presence or the spirit of the living God. Where we set apart, we set apart for the Lord. And I think it's very, I, I love the, the way that this place is even set up. It's with our focus to be placed upon God. My understanding is, is that this used to be a, a full gymnasium. 
the basketball lines and everything set up, basketball hoops, and, and that was all changed with a motivation to focus it on a place set apart for God. That was exactly, this, this exact building was a mere image of the first church the Lord gave me the opportunity to serve on staff at. And it had the basketball courts and everything in the, in the lines and, and uh, the lines for all the games and stuff like that. And the idea was to save money, make it a multi-purpose room. And I understand that. But there's something about thinking about the, the, the shot you missed when you look at the, uh, at the basketball hoop or, or the, the, the game night you had last night in the very same room where you're just kind of chilling and taking it easy that can distract you. And so while there is no outright sin in doing something like that, I appreciate the focus of the room. We must be intentional in our focus on the Lord and coming together in the presence of God to reverence him is a start of what God wants to do through us because if God's going to use you, you must first reverence his presence. And when you do, it's like unlocking the door for God to use you because he knows then that he can trust you with his gifts and with his work.